Hey there, meme lovers. Oh, I fucked up. I forgot the Vic. Hang on one second. Okay, sorry about that. I fucked that up. It'll never happen again. Anyway, uh, welcome to another fun and exciting edition of the Poorly Made Police Memes Podcast, or the Poorly Made Police Podcast. Someday I'll figure out the name of my own podcast. Uh, This is episode 8, and it is a very special edition of the Poorly Made Police Podcast, because my old man's on the episode. I've talked about him a lot on the page over the years, and uh, even on this podcast. And honestly, for me, if not for you guys, it's more for me. I don't know if everyone's familiar with Kevin Smith, guy that did, you know, Clerks and Mallrats and stuff, but he does a podcast. Things he talked about is how he wished he would have had his dad on before his dad passed. Kind of dark, but um, he's here, and uh, I think this will be a good record of his career and, you know, something for me to cherish, honestly. So, with that said, on the job for 40 years, uh, the man, and I might have fucked it up later in the episode, but what I was going for was he's uncorruptible. Um, They don't make him like him. I, I wish I could be half the man he is. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy that. I think... He has a lot of wisdom to impart on us, especially, you know, cops that are burnt out and things like that and kind of look at a different perspective of things because he has a very positive attitude, which unfortunately I don't share. I guess I could work on that. Before we get to the episode, though, the sponsor for today is DRT Soap. They have been uh, around on my page for a while now. They put out a great fucking product. Uh, DRT Soap is a law enforcement owned and operated company based out of Ventura County, California. They designed their company with the intent to serve all the men and women who serve our great country. They believe customer service comes first and strive to bring you the highest quality products. They offer high quality soap bars and a variety of scents to fit everyone's needs and also offer a odor eliminating tactical spray that is great for your police equipment, including vests, helmets, boots, and anything else that needs funk removed. They started their company in November of 2020 after being disappointed with many of the soap and odor eliminator products that were available. Many of the products weren't designed specifically to meet the needs of law enforcement officers, and that's where they began their venture into DRT, leaving the funky scents and filth dead right there. I don't know if I was supposed to read that like James Hetfield, but it was, it was you know, in the big print, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, they know you encounter a lot of filth out there in the, in the mean streets. So grab yourself grime-fighting soap and keep yourself clean. So check those guys out, DRT Soap. They're on Instagram, drtsoap.com. That's a good place to spend your hard-earned money. Anyway, uh, enjoy the show with uh, my old man. All right, and the moment you've been waiting for, a podcast with my dad. Normally, I have a picture of him and he stares at me being disappointed, but now I have him in the flesh disappointed in me. So, uh, hi, Dad. Actually, I'm not disappointed in any of my kids. Uh, I couldn't see my son getting on the department he got on because he's such a mellow guy. And uh, that agency was such an aggressive agency. Well, not anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, What I've seen... To be honest, I haven't had time to listen to any of the podcasts, but I have been following the meme page. Uh, 
And what I see a lot of is people talking about the job being dead. Now, I don't see the job as being dead except in certain communities where law enforcement is not welcome or appreciated either by their clientele or the citizen of that community or uh, their administration who fails to back them up. I've had a long career, which I still enjoy to this day. Uh, come September, another seven years, I have 50 years in. I've done everything from uh, detentions to patrol to investigations and now administration. And I have been fortunate for the most part to work with good organizations even in a metro area where they backed up their people. I don't know if that exists anymore, but from um, what I've heard talking to people, a lot of people in the bigger metro agencies, the jobs, I don't know. I hate to say 100%, but it certainly seems that way. Again, it, it goes from agency to agency. And early in my career, uh, at least in Colorado anyway, sheriff's officers paid notoriously less than police departments. And I saw a lot of people take that leap from a sheriff's office to a police department simply for the money. But one of the things I've always said is that this is more than a job and maybe more than a calling. And this is what I've trained all the people uh, uh, I've trained, uh, that this is calling. I mean, I, I compare it almost to like being a priest. It takes someone special to do this, but it's also, you have this level of dedication, or you should have this level of dedication, but when, again, when the community and your administration doesn't support you, which I can't speak to <laughs> with my experience, I can see why people feel the job is dead. My intention here, all sarcasm aside, is to be pretty positive because there are places where this is a good, honorable career, a calling. I agree. It's not in Washington State anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's Terry I, v. Ohio doesn't exist there. Um, you wanted to, when I told you, I asked you to do this, you wanted to kind of talk about the... Uh, how the job has changed in your 40 years as far as what was important and what's important now. It's amazing. Uh, this job has gone through quite an evolution. I started my career in 1978 in a small town and I've bounced around and I've done a number of things. But when I first started my career, DUIs were not a big deal. And most of the DUIs that I saw were there for the, but for the grace of God, go I. It was Joe Everyday Citizen and didn't realize what his limitations are. And most of the time I arrested a first timer. Now, I've been, uh, you know, uh, mad, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, I received an award from them I received awards from uh, the state 
for two years running for DUI enforcement. 80s through the 90s, I made DUI enforcement my specialty. And during that period, I changed agencies, moved from a little western slope town to a front range sheriff's office. And at that time, the sheriff didn't want his deputies arresting his constituents for DUI. Now, I learned how to do DUIs in that small town, and I got pretty good at it. And the DUI arrest is the most complex misdemeanor arrest you're going to make. And when I went to this agency on the front range, the unwritten policy was take them to detox, give them a ride home, or have somebody come and pick them up. I did that three times before uh, I told my sergeant, Sarge, I know how to do DUIs. I get knots in my stomach letting them go. It, it bothers me. He said, fuck them, process them. And I was the first deputy on that agency to start doing DUIs, and I was kind of the DUI guru for a while. And other guys learned from me. And uh, now I think they're pretty progressive on DUI enforcement, but of course you've got a different sheriff in there now. And the uh, citizens' mindset kind of changed, and they want that kind of stuff pursued. And then we started domestic violence was a, was a big deal. You know, prior to that, you know, we broke up a fight, and we went back the next week, and the next week, and the next week, until we finally found someone dead. And that, that wasn't working. And I'm in full agreement with what the country has done in terms of uh, domestic violence uh, with the mandatory arrest policies because I was around before that those policies started and I saw people getting abused and uh, the victim saying, nah, I don't want to do anything and we really couldn't. And uh, I've had some people thank me afterward after I've made the arrest and gotten in into those situations and took some action. So that was very rewarding. And then child abuse became a big deal. Uh, you know, pretty much, well, same thing with the domestic violence. It was pretty much in the family and you didn't want to mess with somebody's family life. So they didn't screw around with domestic violence or child abuse. You went in, you kept the peace. But then in certain school districts, I know it was certainly in the county where I was working, some of the more liberal teachers would tell their students, if your parents look at you cross-eyed, you're being abused. And I recall in junior high school, I got a call, responded on a child abuse complaint, where young lady, she freely admitted that she pushed her dad's buttons and pushed and pushed and pushed. And she certainly had it coming when he gave her a smack in the face. And then she called us. Uh, I went in there, interviewed her, and she told me exactly what she had done until her dad hit her. And I said, hey, tough. You, you had exactly what you had coming. I'm not doing anything with this. And I told the dad the same thing. It's a parental's right or a parent's right. It's a parental right to, do, to discipline your kids. And now we get calls from parents saying, 
my child won't do what I say. Come and talk to him. You know, how often do you go into a restaurant and you hear the kid, the parents say, hey, if you don't behave yourself, that cop's going to take you to jail. I've had that happen a couple of times, and I've, I've said to the child in front of the parent, no, I'm not. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. But a lot of things have changed. One of the things, uh, when I first came out of the academy, and I think this was bad because I think everybody comes out of the academy like this, is, and I know I'm getting a little bit long when no, go going on, but no. I think I'm saying a lot of important shit here. Uh, yeah. Everybody ain't gonna kill you. Everybody ain't trying to kill you. Uh, I'm very old school, obviously. Uh, I wear the uniform. I think you gotta look sharp. You gotta wear the badge. You gotta polish your shoes. You gotta have that gig line straight. You gotta look like a cop. You gotta look respectable. But nowadays, and some of you youngsters may disagree with me, I am seeing cops, even in small communities, go in with the vests and the tasers on the vests and the radios on the vests, and, you know, they look like stormtroopers, and I think it sends the wrong image. And, again, that's me, old school. Uh, I, when I went back, actually, I went from... Uh, a small community back up to the front range and the mentality completely changed. Uh, yeah, granted my officer safety got a little bit sloppy, I was not as sharp, but I didn't go in with the attitude that everybody is going to kill me. Everybody is out to kill me. There are some decent citizens out there. I was told a story once when I was an FTO, which whenever you say that it reminds me. Uh, I, I was at an apartment complex, and one of the other officers could tell that I was very, very uncomfortable uh, where I was standing, because I had just gotten in trouble because I wasn't standing in the right place. So I went on this call, and after the call, uh, the FTO says something along the lines of, well, you look like you're pretty uncomfortable. I said, yep. He says, well, if somebody wanted to kill you right then, they would have killed you right then. You can't go into it every single time just trying to find the exact... Well, let me step back on that. You can't, you have to be prepared for what's going to happen and be in a good position, but there's never always like a perfect position, especially in like an open apartment complex. So that got me thinking, you know, I, I can't be too paranoid. I'll, I guess I'll disagree with you a little bit, and maybe it's because I came from a big metro agency. And I, I did my time on a metro agency too. Yeah, I know, but I just... I, you know, every time I read an officer down, it certainly seems like the, the war on the police is a real thing. And the thing is, I think part of that is the approach. You know, I don't want to, it's not my place to second guess an officer uh, who's actually on the scene. And, and don't misunderstand. But at the same time, relax a little bit. Everybody is not out to kill you. Slow down a little bit. Don't, because some of that being on edge stuff may, may precipitate things that may not happen. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I, like you said at the beginning, I'm a pretty laid back guy. And I think the way I handled my business, um, I probably prevented fighting with people because I didn't bring it on. Where I think right. some people, the way they present things, and you know, you can 
they always say you can skin a cat a different way, but the way you present yourself sometimes or the way you don't, and I hate to use this word, but de-escalate, if you're not immediately, if you're just in the, you know, you're in the black when you get to the call, yeah. then, but then that's where you start at. What's, and that's where you can't what's wrong lower. with de-escalation? There's not. There's I nothing in, wrong with it. Well, well the, the that's, problem that's is, why. Well, the, here's the reason, though, is because the problem with it is people have kind of twisted that where, you know, like cops will be like in a fist fight with somebody over a gun or something. They're like, well, why didn't they de-escalate? De because they were in a fist fight with a guy. Yeah, it's that too late. Kind of too late to de-escalate. That's there. my that's my issue with de-escalation. You know, or or my department put in a policy that you shall de-escalate before anything happens. Well, sometimes that's you can't a problem. because exactly. you can't because, because it's, it's already escalated. escalated. Yeah. yeah, but here's the thing: I went on a domestic once with another guy who had a reputation for a smart mouth. And I went downstairs first. I contacted the suspect who was asleep on the bed. I just woke him up, directed him to cuff up, compliant as hell. And the other officer who had the reputation for a smart mouth, he was shocked. He couldn't believe it that I made this arrest without a fight. And he would have said something to the guy that would have started a fight. As a matter of fact, the agency that we were with, again, I said uh, I was fortunate enough to gr work with good agencies. This agency, they saw the problem with him, that he was so quick to escalate a situation with his mouth, that they sent him to, uh, there's a school where you learn oh, how the, to talk to yeah, people. Yeah, I, uh, I went through it in the academy. I can't think of the guy's class. but um, it's, not, it's not verbal judo. Oh, it's, it's not verbal judo. how to okay. win people over and, and things like that. How to, I can't remember. It, it's more of a business kind of school. But they sent him there, and uh, he rose through the ranks. He became a, a sergeant or something. But I think some of us, create our own problems well i said in the last podcast that i uh when i got towards the end i was saying shit to people that i would have never said to people i've been thinking it for years but i would never would have said it and that well, was kind of a hint to me too that you know maybe my glass was full yeah and and here's the thing with that and i you make up a a good point because one of the agencies i was at i loved working midnight shift it's when my son was growing up, and I bid midnight shift. And when I got to a point of and of seniority, uh, where I could, I messed everybody up uh, because about that time I was becoming a real asshole, and I was saying shit to people that I shouldn't have been saying. And I recognized that, and I said, I need off midnight shift. I need to deal with decent people. I've been dealing with night people too long. And uh, everybody was figuring me to bid a midnight shift, and I bid a day shift, and I just screwed up everybody's plans. It was one but, wrong, wrong, wrong spot on a bid, and that just ruins the whole department for a year. Yeah, it does. So <laughs> that's. But I was on nights for about almost ten years before I bid for a day shift, and uh, yeah, when I started generating a lot of complaints, I recognized it, and I said. I need to go on day shift and deal with decent people for a change. And, uh, yeah, that worked. <laughs> um, something that you, another thing, and this was important to me, and I, I tried to keep be mindful of this during my 
uh, police career is you had basically a doctrine that when you were an FTO, you uh, taught your rookies about. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I wanted to do that. When I was three-year officer on the road at the Sheriff's Department on the Front Range of Colorado, I didn't put in for FTO. I was asked to do it specifically because of my attitude. And I was reluctant because my feeling was, shit, I've only been on the road three years. I think uh, it takes a good five years for somebody to be truly effective and efficient at what they do before they can train other people. You know, based on my readings and, you know, uh, other training. And I was reluctant, but at the same time, this agency was a kind of an agency that if you were asked to do something and you didn't do it, they never asked you to do anything again. Still a good agency, but, you know, that was one of the things I heard about them. And I'll go back to that agency in a minute after I address this. But there were five tenants that I told all my rookies during FTO, uh, if you learn nothing else from me, learn this. And I gave it a silly name. My son wants to, us to keep anonymous so we don't offend any uh, specific agencies. But I put together this thing, and I called it by my name, Doctrine. And this was back in the days before floppy disks and you know computers and stuff like that. And had I thought about it a little bit, I'd have put it a, a cooler name on it. But anyway... The first tenant, this job is supposed to be fun. Uh, like any other job, you should enjoy it. If you do not have fun and truly enjoy your chosen career, you will get old before your time. Bottom line, don't sweat the small shit. Basically, I am 66 years old. I probably have less gray hairs than my son. I don't have hairs. <laughs> <laughs> but... I still have a blast. I still look forward to going to work every day. And now as I'm an administrator, I'm on uh, salary, I don't get paid overtime. And occasionally I'll go in on the weekends just to uh, catch up on stuff that needs to be done because I enjoy it. Two, the most important thing you can take from a man is his freedom. And this came from a corporal on that agency I was with when I was asked to be an FTO because he saw some sloppy custody reports. And it, it really irked him that we were taking people to jail. And this, was, again, was in the days before warrantless affidavits. We just hooked people up and take them to jail. We didn't have to worry about a warrantless affidavit. But if you're in the right, prepare a good report. You owe him that. It's the least you can do when you arrest somebody is, you know, you can't take anything more important from a man than his freedom. Three, there are no chicken shit calls. Generally, people do not like to call the cops. Well, most people. <laughs> There's some people that love calling. Yeah, it's your, out of the population, the 100% of population, you're dealing with maybe... 10% of the people, 90% of the time, something like that. But they call you because at the time they call you, this is the most important thing going on in their lives. Even if it's not important to you, it's important to them, and you need to treat it that way. 
Four, you are not responding to take a report. You're responding to, take a, to conduct an investigation, to take some kind of enforcement action or to make an arrest. The report is a byproduct of that activity, an important part, but not the most important part. Lose the attitude, especially the youngsters, that you're going to take a report. You're not going to take a report. You're going to do something, and then you're going to do a report based on that. Take nothing at face value. There are always at least two sides to every story, usually more. People will lie to you. You have the responsibility to protect the rights of the innocent and the guilty. How often have you been dispatched to a call? Then you find out the one that called is your actual offender. Uh, ask questions until you are satisfied with the answers. Uh, those are the five things I taught my people in FTO. Uh, you know, there are some agencies that they make you write down the statutes and memorize statutes. Bullshit. What do they give you a law book for? Yeah, it's all, you should, now it's, it's on the computer. All you got to do yeah. is, yeah, um, again, you got to keep in mind I'm a dinosaur. I'm uh, not a computer guy. I use books. And okay, Boomer. Pens I had and to pencils. say it once, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the second point about um, the uh, writing good reports because you're taking somebody's freedom away. That was one thing, and I'm not saying I ever saw guys like... I, I don't think people sometimes take for, they take for granted what you're actually doing. You know, sometimes you get so caught up in the moment where you're like, all right, well, there's PC. I'm just going to take this guy, you know, and, and you get so into a routine. But you have to think about what you're actually doing. You are taking someone's freedom away. I couldn't imagine being placed in handcuffs, put in a car, driven somewhere essentially against my will, and put in a cell for however long. And if so, you're wrong, that's kidnapping. It is. The fire department does that all the time, but we don't, right? So just, you know, that, that, I always really tried to take that into account. And I think sometimes it pissed people off because, you know, I, I would make a point to tell people like, hey, I'm not going to do you dirty. And people, you know, why are you, why are you being so nice to this guy? He's a dick bag. How do we know the other guy wasn't lying to us, right? We have PC right now. That changes all the time, right? So just mm -hmm. do things the right way. Absolutely. Write a good fucking report. Document everything. Because ultimately you are taking a man's freedom away and that's that's not a small thing. That probably on that list was something that I always thought about every arrest I ever made was that point. So but now I don't do that. I make memes, so Yeah. Is there anything else? And I don't to? that's all on that. I was gonna go someplace else, but You got any good war stories for the kids that won't get you cancelled or in trouble? <laughs> Use of force judiciously. Uh, I'll tell you a really neat story about an agency that I was with. Uh, I got a call in the evening to a restaurant, fast food restaurant, across from a shopping mall about some drunk guy who was uh, just obnoxious and annoying people. So I'd get up on scene and uh, uh, as I'm walking up, the, all these people are pointing to this one guy standing at the corner, getting ready to cross the street. And you got to keep in mind, this was many, many years ago. Uh, never happened now. They point him out, and I said, partner, come here, I want to talk to you. 
And he says, fuck you. And I'm there picking my ear and thinking, what the hell? Did he really, did I really hear that? Did he really say that? And I go up and uh, my partner's driving up. And this guy that told me to, you know, said, fuck you. He ends up flying across the hood of uh, my cover car's patrol car. Uh, the thing is, that patrol car hadn't yet stopped. And <laughs> my cover, he's holding on to the wheel. He looks at this and he says, cool, bitchin'. <laughs> so we cuff this guy up, take him off, and no big deal, done and done. A couple of weeks later, lieutenant asked me a question about something completely unrelated. And me being the smart ass that I am, I gave him the correct, appropriate answer to the question, whatever it was. However, it was uh, my usual uh, off-the-wall humor. And I don't know that you can pick up on that here, but uh, I wanted to be serious and positive, but this is my off-the-wall humor. Anyway, uh, so Lieutenant asked my cover guy, because they're buddies, they came up together, except my cover guy didn't get promoted. Uh, he says, what's up? I almost said the name. You almost did it, yeah. I almost did it. Yeah. But he said, what's up with this guy? Is he some kind of a smart ass or what? And uh, my cover guy says, uh, you know, anybody who can snap someone's ass and head in and not as quick as he can is okay by me. And after that, I could do no wrong on that department. It's just the nature of the culture at that time. Now, don't misunderstand me. I didn't generally abuse people, and over a period of time, this drunk and I became buddies in a sense, because I uh, dealt with him on a regular basis. And over a period of time, it would take at least 20 minutes before he'd tell me to fuck off. Community policing <laughs> in the 90s. <laughs> All right, so I got... Real quick, uh, and I gotta cut into the middle of this because we gotta give away our T-shirt. So if you've been listening for a while, uh, I've been giving a, away a T-shirt or something else to uh, one of our lucky poorly made police meme followers, and I'm stalling because I can't find it. All right, there it is. So um, these T-shirts are given away by an anonymous donor. Who sent me some money, and he said, "Hey, let's give away some T-shirts to some cops." So he gave me a few bucks. And uh, that's what we're doing. So uh, this email, man, it's a common name. I could probably get away with reading the guy's name, but I'll be careful. So I nominate Sergeant Clark. Sergeant Clark qualifies for the award based on him being an all-around badass. Sergeant Clark was recently promoted as a sergeant over alcohol enforcement. Yes, that's a real thing as far as I know. Uh, he was not promoted due to his drinking ability, though he does indeed have good drinking abilities. And if anybody knows where I actually work at, that's a funny joke. But anyway, or I used to work at. Um, <laughs> Sergeant Clark is well-liked in the department and by his peers and knows we're always willing to lend a helping hand on cases that require midnight calls out. Sergeant Clark also hosts regular steak nights for his neighbors and pays for the steaks out of his own pocket. All right, so Sergeant Clark, everybody give him a round of applause. Uh, I'm waiting for him to reach back out, but he has won a very poorly made t-shirt or mug so i uh i got on instagram and i asked some people uh if they had any questions for my dad 
and this could be dangerous, but we're going to go for it. Well, this is a good question because I, I think a lot of people, and maybe it's a generational thing, and I hate to point the, the finger at like millennial type people and things like that, but um, which unfortunately, I guess I may be a millennial. I'm not sure. I don't like to admit it, but how do you deal with the stress of the job? Or how did you deal with the stress of the job? I really, my wife used to say, his mom used to say that I stress other people out. And I think I still do because I've had some of my new officers tell me how they were terrified of me <laughs> when they first came to work until they got to know me. My friends were terrified of you, all of them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're talking growing up? Yeah, <laughs> every single one of them. <laughs> By yeah. the way, since we're talking about his friends real quick, when he was young, junior high school age, him and his brothers would detail my oh, caprice. Oh, God, here it comes. And I would drive circles around any Crown Vic in that caprice upside down bathtub. That car with the Corvette engine flat out kicked ass. Okay, I've admitted to people that it is fast as shit. And I had so much fun in that car when I went on ride-alongs with you. But, I think the only way to settle this is I gotta buy one of those 96 Caprices and we need to have a race. So that'll be someday. But, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, I'll admit, so I've got here, here's an admission, right? So I've got my little toy police cars down here, which I'm a totally grown man with toy cars, but it's all right. So they're all from like the, the 90s, and I don't know if you guys remember, but like the mid-90s, they came out with one for every state. It was really cool. We collected them. Me and my brothers destroyed most of them, but every once in a while I'll get on eBay and see if I can't snag one or two of them. They're Caprices and they're Crown Vicks. The Caprices are fucking cooler than the 90s Crown Vicks. Yeah. But, but not the Crown Vicks after that. No. Like, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Anyway, I guess remains to be seen. What was the craziest call you ever responded to? Boy, there were so many. I had so many crazy calls over my career. Uh, we had a homicide where one guy stabbed his buddy after drinking and playing pool, and then that guy died. And then realizing how serious a deal was, he killed himself. He slit his own throat, and we found him by the side of the road. So. You know, it's it's interesting, a lot of wild stuff. I mean, this career, this calling is the greatest show on earth, and we don't even have to buy tickets. No. You know, I got to the point, though, where I just got so burnt out of seeing just, and maybe it was the environment, too, where it, the risk versus reward, but you'd see all this fucking weird shit. But you're just like, I got to the point where it felt like Jerry Springer, and it just pissed me off, right? Like, what was the name of the bouncer on Jerry Springer? That's what I felt like. Steve. Steve, Steve yeah, yeah. I felt like Steve on every fucking call. Actually, I've approached my, uh, when I was an investigator, I approached my administration. I couldn't resist. I asked them to uh, put a, in the budget uh, for Jerry Springer stripper pole for my office. <laughs> um Let's see here, what do we got next? How do you prevent burnout and staying positive for so long? That's a really good question. I honestly don't know. I've had good support from my family, and basically, it's fun. I've, I've enjoyed every minute of my career. Uh, when I was on night shift, uh, 
I would come home, go to bed, wake up in the middle of the day so I can eat, play with my kids and so forth when they were young, go back to bed, wake up again. I split up my sleep. When my son got on his agency and he was working midnight shift, this is not something one can do, uh, is split their sleep like that. I suggested he tried that. It didn't work for him. But I basically see the positive in everything. Contrary to popular belief, those who are terrified of me, uh, I have a pretty good positive outlook. And, <laughs> you know, I just enjoy Maybe it's because you were on night shift and you were an asshole. I don't know. Because when I was on night shift, my wife hated me. She said I was a fucking asshole. Hated me. And I was no, like, really? I thought, I like love me. night shift. I, yeah. I love night shift, but it, it's, that's, yeah. the work is great, but everything else sucks. But that's, yeah. that's well documented. I, I really, everybody's got to find their own thing. Uh, I just enjoyed what I was doing so much, and I felt like uh, I was doing some good. I know it sounds corny, but you can't save the world, but you can make your, little cor- your own little corner a little bit better. I love that. If you woke up 21 years old tomorrow, would you go into the same profession? That depends. On? Do we go back in time or are we now? (laughs) (laughs) Now, no. Okay. Now, no. And if if I did decide to go into the same profession, I would definitely go in a smaller community in a little county where people appreciate you. I would not work in a big city. We kind of talked about how the jobs evolve. We don't need to get into that. This is kind of an interesting question. What's a good resource for a spouse that you know of? Because I know that's like, I feel like there's, and I think we could do a whole police episode on police wives, good and bad. I don't think mom ever fell into the police wives category like I know it, and I don't think my wife ever did. But what, I mean, is there something out there that you would recommend the wives so they can kind of understand what their guys are going through, or, I mean, any spouse, really. Well, my wife grew up as a daughter of a cop in a major city. So she pretty much knew what to expect. And she also went to school looking at a law enforcement career, and things took her life in a different direction. So she had a pretty good idea. And the other thing is, and this is more of a societal thing, is commitment. You know, I've seen... My wife and I have been married for 42 years. We were married for about six years before we had our oldest son, who is your host. You know, there's a commitment there, and and she appreciates our sense of humor because she, it was a family, it kind of runs in the family. I think I say shit to her that I don't think people would ever... Tell oh. their moms, but I she gets it. That was yeah. the thing. Like, and I say shit it, to yeah. her all the time. That <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a le- it's certainly a devil level of love and dedication. Uh, you know, we are close. I tease her a lot, but she's used to it, and she teases me right back. Um, this is a really good question. I don't know how to word it, and it's a lot of people have kind of asked the same thing, but. The whole pendulum thing, right? So the you kind of the ebb and flow of the job. Have you ever seen it this bad as far as the climate for cops? No. Now I came on in '78, but I know you know I grew up during the '60s when they had 
the riots at the Chicago Convention and so forth, but cops just beat the shit out of people again then and got away with it. And so I don't know that that was necessarily a good thing. And the whole country was being tore apart basically because of Vietnam War. And uh, by the way, I am a Vietnam era veteran. I, I miss Vietnam by three months if uh, one could say missed it. Uh, I graduated from high school uh, a couple of months uh, after we pulled out of Saigon. But, but I had already enlisted in the Army at that point, and I was in on delayed entry programs, so I went into basic training in July of that year. But getting back to, it depends on the community. You get the flyover country where we're at, you know, not the major city centers like, where cops are having all these issues, but you get in the flyover country and you get in the uh, counties and you get in the uh, uh, small towns. People love the cops there. People love the cops. And in I don't think that's a new thing either. That's not like within the last you know four years or whatever. Like I think that's been a thing for a long time. Yeah, but where it's changed is in the cities. And I really can't speak intelligently to that except I kind of alluded to it er, er, excuse me, earlier, some of the cops are being trained that everybody's going to kill you, and they treat everybody like someone's about to kill them. I don't know. I, I wonder, I'm, con- I'm conflicted I wonder, on that, yeah. And I can see the conflict. Well, here, I can't say that firsthand. Yeah. Uh, I'm just, it's just a theory. I guess where, I can, where I'm coming from, and I've definitely been on calls with guys where you know, I'm like, we made this worse. And I hate to break parts here, but, like, there's been calls I've been on. And I'm not saying they violated people's rights or broke the law, but we made it worse because of the, the attitude of some people, right? That's, that's that's exactly the point I'm making. But that's not necessarily, like, everyone's going to kill you. I think you can be nice to people and have a plan to kill them. That was kind of the what I got in the academy. Yeah. It was, like, be nice to people, respect people, but have a plan how to kill everyone in the room. And that's kind of how I went into everything, right? Like, I'm going to be and nice that, and mellow, that fits, but I can take care of business that, if I need to. That fits the agency you were with. <laughs> because I'll tell you what, back in the 70s when I started my career, every agency develops a reputation. One agency, the agency you were with, had the reputation of stormtroopers. Okay. Another agency, a sheriff's department in the same area, had a reputation. You cross them, they're going to take you out in the field somewhere, somewhere <laughs> and kick the shit out of you. They still have that, I think. Another agency, and they shouldn't because I know some of the people on that agency. <laughs> yeah. But another agency that I was with had the reputation. They're pretty reasonable. You could go up to a point with them, but don't you dare cross that line. I think that's probably probably where it should be, right? Exactly. You know, where like you had things back in the day where like the run tax, right? That was something talked about when I started. The run mm-hmm. tax, you ever heard of the run tax? No. If you run your games you get your ass beat. Okay. That's the run tax, right? That's that's not in the Fourth Amendment. That's not Graham v. Connor, right? Like mm-hmm. 
we, you know, I get somebody ran from you or whatever, but we're supposed to take the high road, right? Right, exactly. Right. You know, alley rides and shit. Yeah. You, now, I'll tell you something else. You may not know this. I was a first person on my department when I started my career, small town, western slope of Colorado, that did not carry a sap. For though you're giving me a funny yeah. look. You don't know what a sap is, do you? Baton, or is it like a kind of baton or what? It's a blackjack. Powdered lead or a piece of lead wrapped between two pieces of leather. Oh, See, yeah, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. I good. know what you're talking about. Yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. You had to describe it. But how many, yeah. how many young, young officers don't know what a sap is? And the way I read it, most agencies issued you pants with a sap pocket, and a lot of people carried... That's exactly what God intended a sap pocket for. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the job, I guess it depends on the jurisdiction as to where the job has changed. In certain communities, the job hasn't changed. In other communities, it has. Because, I'll be honest, a couple of bad cops, every, every bad law we have, every bad court ruling we have, has been the result of bad cop work. Yeah. For instance, every Supreme Court ruling is from probably from a bad, a poorly written report. Oh, even as far back as Miranda. Yeah. Okay. I I heard a story about an agency in Arizona, where guys kept on going to the court and saying, "Hey, I I didn't want to say anything, but this big a giant." Uh, rabbit came in with a big fucking carrot and kept on beating the shit out of me. Well, the ju judge heard that so many times, he sent somebody over to the PD, and sure enough, they found a rabbit suit with a big <laughs> fucking carrot. <laughs> you know, that's, that's bad law. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? yeah. you can't do that shit. Yeah. Um, and the people had asked, like, within the two years, how much it's changed. Uh, to me, I started pre-Ferguson. My first couple of years were before Ferguson. And, you know, the only thing that really changed for me, I thought, was, you know, we in my agency, we weren't chasing cars, um, any of that stuff, because, you know, because they'd had some issues where, you know, they chase whatever and it runs into a family, which, you know, you have to weigh the things. I'm kind of of the opinion that a, a pursuit... If you're chasing it for something, if, why are they running, right? And I always go back and forth. Why are they running? They're probably running because of some pretty extreme reason, right? Very rarely is somebody running just because they have, like, an expired license. But they do. But, I, but they do. And I've seen it, right? So you have to kind of weigh that. So I, I'm always conflicted on that. But it is frustrating where you see somebody in a fucking stolen car. The people in stolen cars that pull over, it's a crack rattle. And they know they're not going to get charged or it's going to be pretty minimal. They'll stop. The people that we should be chasing in a stolen car, they go. And we don't catch them. And they go do other shit. But that, that, I guess that's my two cents as far as like... But think, Ferguson changed things and, and body cameras came in. I like body cameras. I think they're great. I have no issue with body cameras. I don't know. Do you share the same opinion? I have cameras? no issue with body cameras either. Yeah, I, mean, I, if, I, if, I think they protect the officer especially if, if the officer is doing the right thing. Yeah. Now, if the officer is doing the wrong thing, I'm okay with that too because that shit's going to get him fired because he doesn't need to be an officer. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think 
after Ferguson, things changed as far as I, I think you know what people wanted is like police accountability, but I, I think it gets mistaken with. And don't get me wrong, like, a lot of people chanting that shit are, you know, the same people chanting bullshit, you know, frying cops in blankets or whatever. But I think, I don't know how to articulate this. I think, you know, there, there's an issue with police accountability. Okay, I got no problem with that. Cops should be fucking accountable. No issue with that. But I think what it turned into is, well, to hold police accountable, we're not going to enforce laws. Or we're going to let people go. And, and that was the shit that was starting to, you know... It got worse and worse and worse, and then after everything last year for me, I'd watch people just walk away. People, they, the direction was, we'll just let them walk away, we'll get them later. That's not what we should be doing. I agree. And, and that, that was kind of where, I, to me, it was like a moral dilemma. The money was great. My agency, I was lucky. I was one of these agencies. I, had, I walked away from an okay retirement, great benefits. I mean, now in the private sector, I see how great my benefits were as far as like health insurance and all that shit. Um, great pay, great pay. One of the probably one of the top agencies in the in the country, but it was just so bad morally that I, I couldn't sit there and accept what it had become. And I appreciate that. And and here's the thing about it being a calling uh, is that it's not the money. It's absolutely not the money. I have I am making half of what you were making when you left, probably less than half. About there. Yeah. And I'm an administrator on my agency. Yeah. Um, do you think it'll, do you think things will, I don't think they'll ever get back to like, I don't know. I have a pretty negative viewpoint. I think especially, I mean, out in the boonies and stuff, I think it'll be kind of fine the way it is. But I think the big cities, it's never going back. No, I don't think so. I agree with you. And here's the thing. In the smaller communities, people know each other. They know their cops, they know their sheriffs, and, and the cops and their deputies know their communities. They know who they're dealing with. In the big cities, yeah, you're dealing with 10% of the population 90% of the time, and you know these people, but it's the other people, the activists, who have no clue what you're doing or who they're supporting. And in some cases, they do know. But, you know, I think they, they've got an agenda. To add on to that, I don't think administration in these big police departments, because they're so far removed from what actually happens on the street, they don't fucking know what we're doing. And I, I heard an example where, uh, not to dime out my agency, but somebody in command went out on patrol and was dumbfounded the way officers were treated on calls. Like, they could not believe the shit we put up with. And that's because of how we were told to deal with shit. This is a, a, a good question, and you can answer it. Do you think it's necessary to go into the military before law enforcement? I don't think so, but I'll, I'll provide my opinion on the military. I went to a training class, and for whatever reason, before I went to that training class, I googled what percent of the U.S. population actually served in the military. Now, I'm not talking combat or anything, but six to seven percent have served in the military, and I was shocked because I'd have people, I'd wear a shirt with some kind of army insignia on it, and people come up and shake my hand and 
thank you for your service. And I'm saying, what the fuck? I, you know, all I did was serve, do a tour in the Army. What's the big deal? Well, apparently to some people it is a big deal because there's a, such a small percentage of the population that served. Now that being said, I don't think everybody should serve in the military before going into law enforcement. However, the military teaches one responsibility, discipline, and in many cases, law enforcement is a quasi-military organization where you do learn the benefits of a chain of command and that discipline is important. So I, I wouldn't say that that's a requirement, but I would say that that's uh, absolutely an asset. I agree with that. I would say that's definitely more of an asset in these smaller places that are more conservative, I hate to say it, but because there was kind of a, a thing in the cities that we heard is they kind of, especially now, and not to scare anyone, because I only know a small example, so don't, don't make a, a life decision based on what I'm saying here is, but I've heard some of these bigger agencies, they don't want military guys because they're militarized and shit like that. And again, that's, I'm going to say it, liberal agenda. You know, they are anti-cop, they're anti-military, and there was a time early in my career where you got points. You, you show up with a DD-214, that jumps you up a couple of points in line for your testing process. Yeah, I don't think that's And that was anymore. encouraged. For those of you who don't know, uh, DD-214 is your uh, separation record from the military that includes all your medals and service time, time overseas, time in combat. It's just kind of a condensed version of what you've done. All right. So this next part is a two-part question. Uh, the first part is, is do you love your son? <laughs> Did you submit that? <laughs> no, I love all my sons okay. equally. Equally. And the grandkids okay. and the in-laws. <laughs> okay, that one was me. But the second one is... <laughs> the second one is, how do you feel... And somebody else asked this, and I answered it before a couple podcasts ago, but we'll hear it from the source. How do you feel about me leaving? I understand. I, I don't blame you. I think it's... I would rather have you leave the field and be happy with your family than go to work hating work. That goes back to point one, is in my doctrine, so to speak. You have to enjoy your job. If you are not happy doing what you're doing, you're going to get old before your time, and you're going to go bald, and you're going to go to pot. And <laughs> I haven't gone to pot yet, everybody. I've gone bald, no, but not I'm to pot. I'm talking about dumpy and shit, yeah. not, not smoking. Oh, well, then I've, got, I've done that, yeah. <laughs> but you're not going to be happy with your life, and you're going to be miserable, and you're going to get old before your time, and then you're going to quit, and then you're going to eat your gun, to be quite frank. Uh, and we see a lot of guys do that, right, where they have nowhere to turn, yeah. where they feel like they have nowhere to turn, and so that shit happens. So. I have no problem with you leaving when you did, under the circumstances you did, but here's the funny thing. I've... 
you know, of course, I've watched him grow up. He's a nice, mellow guy, and I couldn't understand how he got on the agency he got with because of the reputation of that particular agency. I didn't see him as a good fit. And then I saw him playing hockey, knocking the shit out of people and checking <laughs> them and, and stuff like that. Well, okay then. Uh, but no, I'm glad you got out because you are a lot happier. You're doing what you enjoy. I'd love to see you get into law enforcement again on a smaller agency in a small reports. community. I miss writing reports. Oh, report so writing is fun. <laughs> Uh, they use, well again, this might give a hint to the, my identity to any old timers or anybody who's heard about me, they used to say out of the car, pull a CR. And the other thing uh, I'll mention real quick that I just thought of, I have so much fun at my job that I have told people at my office, you are not getting promoted to my position until you guys wash the decomp out of my chair. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, it's that warped sense of humor again. You know, a couple of years ago, you had me go to the office, and you're like, hey, this is where this is, and this is, and this is, and I'm like, shit, is he dying, and he's just not telling me? Because you've made that joke for years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, but you're alive, so here we go. Yeah, uh, no, I'm healthy and alive, and, you know, I've, I've told my administration I am in there as long as I can competently serve. And until uh, such time is, and when I can't serve anymore, I'll happily leave. But the reason I, I told uh, my son where certain things were uh, is because I wanted him to remove my, that stuff from my office, and I want him to hang on to it and maybe decorate his meme cave with that stuff. It's a sex dungeon, according to the Internet. I posted a picture of it online, and they said it looked like a sex dungeon. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe with my stuff in there, it won't look so much like yeah, it. Yeah, it is a little weird. So if anybody's seen the pictures, there's chalk writing on it. I assume, like, it says on, on their, like, 90s when kids wrote their names on it and stuff. And I, I was going to take it all down, but I'm like... I think all these women who were held captive, captive in here right, before yeah. you built oh, the there's house. Oh, a, there's a part in the basement here where you can't even get into, but... Uh, I don't even want, I don't even want to know it's back there, but I have a I have an issue with erasing history, so I'm like I'm just gonna hang my shit up over it and let it stay because it's made it here. You know, this chalk has been up here for 30 years. Why should I fuck with it? I had some good ones here. Which is a better baton? Uh, what is better, a baton or a 70s cell mag? Let me do that all over again. A seven-cell magnet? Yeah, what's better, a baton or a seven-cell magnet? I've seen both. Uh, I carried a Koga stick for years. You had a Koga stick? I was trained in Koga, Before FBI, I was born, probably. and, and uh, PBCT, because that's another generational change as time went by. I started with Koga in the academy. Then uh, at my one of my agencies, our Koga instructor left, pissed off the sheriff because it cost so much to send him to the school that he went to FBI because it was free. <laughs> and then, uh, then we picked up other agencies I was with went to PPCT. But I carried a Koga stick, and I've only used it twice. Uh, but I still carry the stick, and what was fun is that one of my agencies, we had a little ring in the car where we kept it. 
And every time I get out of the car, I'd put it in the ring at my side. And it was kind of fun to walk into a disturbance at a bar or at a carnival or something. And I've seen it many times where people would look at me. You see the eyes go down to my baton. Then they look at me again, and then the eyes go back. And you see it go back and forth while they're considering what they want to do. And the baton was so scratched up and beat up, people would say, why don't you paint that thing? I said, tremendous intimidation value. I, <laughs> I never have to use it when people look at it. Um, all right, so I'm just going to go out and say this, and this might dime me out, but I used to wear my eight-point hat everywhere. A lot of people have eight-point hats. But not at my agency. And everybody asks, why do you wear it? Because no one fucks with the guy that comes to the call wearing the eight-point. They think you're a sergeant. They think you're whatever. I never got into a fight when I wore it. The times I got into fights, I'd forgotten in a car or something else had happened. It, it was just like, a, I, I feel like it was a respect thing. So fucking kids, wear your hats. Absolutely. And I'm going to agree with that. Um, I like hats. I don't like baseball caps. It makes you look, it's tacky. It, it looks terrible in a uniform. Again, I'm going back to appearances. Your, your brass is shined, your uniform is sharp, your belt is on right, it's not hanging down. You're, you know, you're not wearing uh, like the gangsters wear with your pants down past your ass. And, you know, all that stuff is on tight, looking sharp. If your party uniform is a hat, I like the hat. Uh, yeah, granted, there's a time and a place for it. Uh, I was one of the first people, well, at one of the agencies I went to prior to me going there, you didn't go into a bar without a helmet and baton. You just didn't do it. Uh, and then gradually we got away from that. But uh, as a matter of fact, the sergeant, uh, he chewed me out for going on bar checks alone and not wearing a helmet. Hats and bats. Yep. Hats you always knew it was going to be a good call. <laughs> Somebody screaming on the radio said, hats and bats. <laughs> um, let's see. Asked if you retired. We got into that. We, we talked about, what is your favorite patrol car? Is it the Caprice or do you have a different the Caprice. one? The Caprice. What's second? It would have to be the Interceptor. And the reason I which, say the... Which Interceptor? The Crown Vic or the, the new Explorers? Oh, the Explorers. Oh, fuck off. I took, I took out a deer at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> I didn't get hurt. If I'd been going slower, I probably would have got hurt. But I was responding on a call and uh, the deer didn't yield to my lights and siren. <laughs> Vaporized. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> um... I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I'm going to be upset about that. I'm going to get fucking messages for days from people talking shit. Um, people eating tasty animals? Right. Well, yeah. Okay, this is a really good question. Um, what extinct part of the job from 40 years ago do you wish you could gift to new cops? Extinct part? Like we can't do it. What, something we can't do that we can't do now that you could have done years ago. I don't know that there's anything extinct. I can't think of anything if you do it right under the right circumstances. The problem is... I had to walk away from domestic, so... Well, that's... That's an agency thing. I've never had to walk away from a domestic. Yeah, I mean... And at my agency, we still arrest domestics. Well, no, we did, the only but, thing, it, but it, we didn't, you know, God forbid, you know, we didn't want to make anybody upset. 
Even though we're the no. fucking police. But the, here's, here's the issue we have is with COVID is that jails are not accepting people because of uh, quarantines and so forth. And, you know, if the charge isn't serious enough. So we are arresting domestics. We are arresting felons. We are arresting whatever, but we're not arresting chicken shit things that we used to arrest for. So I don't, I don't, unless the guy's not going to appear and, you know, you've got to, that's something you've got to evaluate. One of the agencies I was with called it arrest standards, which I don't have a problem with. I mean, the purpose of jail and bond is to ensure one's appearance in court, depending on, of course, the violation. Now, if it's serious enough, of course you're going to take them to jail. If it's minor, then it's minor. You address it as appropriate. You know what always used to piss me off is, is you know, they'd be like, hey, well, you know, don't arrest people for this, which sounds, you know, whatever it may be. I'll, I'll use the example of trespassing. Don't arrest somebody for trespassing. Don't, here, even better, and this is super chicken shit, don't, uh, don't arrest on an open container, right? Right. Don't, I totally agree with that, but you can't say just shall not arrest on an open container because sometimes there's that guy, he needs to go to jail because he's a danger to himself or the community, and you're really doing him a favor. Yeah, the bond's whatever it is, but if you're leaving that guy on the street, he's going to get killed. Detox refusals. They won't, they won't, sometimes detox won't take people, even though that's what they do, they won't take people because they're being assholes. Things like that. I'm just saying that and maybe that was a bad example, but I mean, like, it a trespass. was a terrible example. Okay, I'm going to edit this out. <laughs> no, okay, a trespass, though. Okay, that was a bad example. A trespass, though, right? Guy won't, what, what we were directed to do towards the end was just issue them a ticket. And I, I said, well, what if they won't leave? Well, we're not the bouncers. No, we're the cops, and a business called us because someone's breaking the law. We're going to dump a ticket on this guy and leave? That is the most fucking ridiculous thing yeah, I've ever I heard. Agree. I so agree. shit like that is where I just I started but to lose my mind. But that's a continuation of the offense. See, if that was part of the no, arrest, if the, guy, if the guy leaves, what I'm whatever, saying right. is, yeah. what I'm saying is that's a refusal to leave is a continuation of the offense. That's I like to rest standards because these are the things you considered. Is is he part of the community? Is he going to appear in court? Is he is he likely to continue the offense? If he stays on the scene and refuses to leave, that's a continuation of the offense and he probably needs to go to jail. Agreed. I, I completely agree, but I, I just, I hated that there was this ultimatum on stuff and I'm like, police work is not black no. and white. It, you know, there's no. always this gray area for shit and people, especially people in the positions where they can make decisions, charging, not charging decisions, but how they're going to direct their officers to go. I mean, I got into an argument at in-service and probably cost some people some lunch time. I apologize. Because they said, oh, no, on a trespass, just leave them a ticket. And I said, oh, what if they don't leave? Well, then don't worry about it. Um, they'll, we'll deal with it later. No. Well, we're not. Write them another ticket. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Well, we're not the bouncers. We are a police agency. They are a private business in the city. They pay tax dollars. Yeah. Why the fuck aren't we taking people to jail? When did we, it become Do this your thing? fucking job. Do your fucking job. Yeah. So if anybody is wondering, well, why'd he leave and blah, blah, blah. Morally, I couldn't fucking, I couldn't stomach some of that shit. It bugged me so much. 
and I had an out. And I know a lot of people, and I see it all the time in the comments. They're like, well, if people don't like it, they should leave. It's not that simple. You have to pay bills. You have to feed your family. You have to do the things. I lucked out where I kind of had this, and I had some other things going for me, and I could walk away. So understand when people don't have that. And also understand that people... My dad's been lucky throughout his career. I consider it lucky that he's worked for some really good agencies and he hasn't had to deal with, you know, like Chicago. I couldn't imagine working there or, you know, some of these yeah. other big cities. And I've, I've, I've worked for good agencies that turned into bad agencies. Let me, we didn't go there and I hope we have enough time. Can go for go it. Ahead? We got all the time in the world. Okay. One of the best questions I was asked, and I, I wanted to talk about this. This was for a small agency for which I was recruited. Chief wanted me there, and I'm pretty proud of this. Best question I was asked on an oral board is, what's the biggest mistake in your you made in your life? What's the one thing in your life that you would change? And I sat back and thought for a minute, and I said, I haven't made any mistakes. I made decisions, and then I live with them. Now, they, sometimes they may be bad decisions, and there may be consequences unintended, but I live with them. I'm not going to make beat myself up over the decision. And it kind of goes to what I like to call the fork in the road theory that I have. And I, I really think this is pretty neat. People have been amused by this. Uh, for instance, when I graduated from high school, I hadn't applied to any colleges because the summer before I went camping. So what the hell am I going to do when I graduate? Could stay in Brooklyn, do, uh, go to a trade school, join the military? Well, let me back up even more. The night before I went in the military, which I chose, I went in the Army. My parents put on a big party. The hottest girl in my school. I've never heard this, so I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> you haven't? No. Janet's heard it. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> my wife has heard this, but she asked me to take her for a drive. Now, here I am, 18 years old, rip-roaring drunk. See, in New York State, like many states, you can get a license at 16. But the back of the license for New York says not valid within New York City limits until you're 18. So I didn't get my license until I was 18 because, of course, New York City doesn't want teenagers driving within city limits. Makes perfect sense. So what decision do I make? Well, fortunately, being rip-roaring drunk, uh, I declined that. Uh, who knows what would have happened? Uh, my son may not exist if that <laughs> Anyway, so I joined the Army. At the end of three years, or you might have a different mother. <laughs> so at I don't the think end it of, works that way. <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of three years, I joined the Army, or after my three years in the Army, it's time for me to get out. My lieutenant approaches me. He says, time to re-up. I said, sure. I want to go to Europe, I want to go to traffic accident investigation school or dog handling schools. Says, we'll send you to any school you want, but you ain't going to Europe, you're staying in Washington. 
So bullshit, I'm out. So I left the army. The point is, had I gone to see the post-reenlistment officer, which I didn't think of at the time, I probably would have got the schools I wanted and gone to Europe, and I could have had a career in the military, in which case my son wouldn't be here either. And you wouldn't have such glorious memes. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, a funny thing happened at my current agency. Uh, my current boss, he was a deputy at that agency. Now, we're skipping way ahead. My middle son, your host, younger brother, totaled a car and got a ticket from a trooper. So I take this ticket to the county court with my son. The trooper forgot to file it. The case is dismissed. So I stop and, well, I'm going to go visit with the DA's investigator. Turns out he's the undersheriff of this county. So I go over, I catch up with him, and we're shooting the shit. He goes, uh, how'd you like a job? So let me think about it. He goes, you know, if you called me two weeks earlier, I'd have put you out on the road. I ended up in the jail at this agency. So uh, the point is, one of the two guys he put out on the road two weeks earlier is now my boss. So had I called him two weeks earlier, would my boss be my boss? See, that's what I find so amusing about the twists and turns of life, these forks in the roads. At every point, you make a, a decision, and then it affects everybody around you in some way. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. Well, for some people. Some people really <laughs> suck. Well, again... Depending on uh, some decisions I may or may not have made, you may not be here. <laughs> I may not. I may not. Anyway, uh, I just kind of wanted to hit upon that really briefly because I don't want people out there beating up themselves. You know, you make a mistake. We all make mistakes. And one of the things I love to tell uh, the people I supervise, I don't care if you make a mistake. Own up to it. As long as you don't kill anybody or violate their rights, anything can be fixed. That was advice from my old agency when I went through the academy. Was and things have changed, but I think it's generally good advice. I mean, I think it is great advice. Is if you fuck up, just be honest about it. Be, and I've always looked at it. If they are asking about it, they already know the answer. So if they catch you in a lie, you're fucked. As a cop, if you get caught lying about something in an IA or something like that, oh, absolutely. you're done. Your career's done. You're going to get Brady listed and, and all that shit. And by the way, that's one of my current responsibilities as IAs. Yeah. So something I like to ask people towards the end, and we've kind of gone over a bunch of shit like this, but um, what are some words of wisdom that you would impart on the, uh, the people listening to this podcast? First thing... Enjoy what you do. Enjoy your calling. If you're not happy in it, get out. Because you're not only going to ruin your life, you're going to ruin somebody else's. And do the right thing all the time, every time. Because law enforcement, we have to win all the time and every time. I mean, we may lose some battles, but we've got to win the war. And... Uh, just take it easy, 
don't beat yourself up over small mistakes. Just uh, learn from them and move on. Well said. Thanks for doing this. I wasn't sure what you were going to say when I asked you the other day. <laughs> Would you say you're like on your vlog? And I was like, no, it's a podcast, but whatever. Um, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say okay, boomer twice, but, um, but thanks. I mean, I, uh, I don't think I would have gotten to the career without, I think I fought it for a long time because I'm like, I'm not going to be like my dad. And then I realized, yeah, dad's an asshole. Dad's an asshole. All my friends say, you know, but, um, <laughs> you are, and I'm stealing somebody else's words. Um, and you'll know who I'm talking about, but your, your morals are, um, you're uncompromising in your morals. Um, you always do the right thing. And, and you do have a positive outlook as, as, as scary as you were to my friends. Like I never, I never worried about you once doing anything shady or doing the wrong thing. And I, as a cop, I always, I thought about the shit you told me on ride alongs. I thought about, you know, and even in my life, I've always thought about like just doing the right thing. And, you know, so basically I'm a good dad. You are a good, a good dad. Job. You are a good dad, even though you don't always tell me that you love me, but you are a good dad. <laughs> All right, that's all we have. Thank you guys for listening. As always, if you want to support the podcast, go buy some of my shit, support the, uh, the people that sponsor it, and uh, I love most of you. <laughs>